Well, as you might have guessed, today we're talking about my favorite topic, grace. Grace is God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. Unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, and unrelenting love. It's unconditional, meaning there's no condition set. There's no requirement to meet. It's unconditional. Undeserved, meaning you can't deserve it by being good, and therefore you cannot forfeit it by being bad. Unconditional, undeserved, unlimited. It is, in fact, as we just heard, or as we just sang, greater is unlimited. It is greater than all our sin. And it is unrelenting. It, it will not give up on you. It will, in fact, chase you if you run. Down, as the hound of heaven poem goes, it will chase you down the highways and the byways, even the alleyways of life. God's grace is unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love. But let's be clear. Grace does not mean anything goes. Grace is not a license for immorality. Grace does not mean that your behavior does not matter. Grace means that your place in God's heart and your value in God's eyes are simply not dependent upon your behavior. And we we experience grace every time we turn around. That's what I want us to study this morning. And I want you to get, if you would, your, your worship guide. And on the very back, it says sermon notes, and it's fill in the blanks. I don't remember ever having doing a fill in the blank sermon, but uh, Alan Greer has so much fun with it on Wednesday nights, I thought I'd try it uh, myself. So get your worship guide out. There are pins. If you don't have them, there are pins, and many of the pews should be in the backs of the pews in front of you. So I, I hope you'll fill in the blanks, follow along. I think it'll be helpful for you to remain engaged if you'll, if you'll fill in the blanks. First, it is grace that seeks us. S-E-E-K-S. It is grace that seeks us. There's a beautiful phrase, prevenient grace. It goes all the way back to Augustine, St. Augustine in the third century, who spoke of prevenient grace. John Wesley, the wonderful founder of the Methodist movement, popularized, revived the phrase, prevenient grace. Of course, well, it comes from Latin, Pre, of course, meaning before, and venient, meaning coming. So if you speak Spanish, you know that venir means to come. So prevenient simply means comes before, which is a beautiful way of expressing that even before we were aware of our need for grace, God stepped across the great divide to offer grace to us. Your text, your, your your verse is there, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were spiritually clueless, spiritually lifeless, and spiritually powerless, God demonstrated his love for us in the death of his son, Jesus. There's a wonderful him, come thou fount of every blessing. It says, 
One line says, you, you, many of you know it, Jesus sought us when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. So when I was a stranger, Jesus sought me when I was a stranger wandering, uh, when I didn't even know I was lost, when I was spiritually clueless and spiritually powerless and spiritually lifeless, when I'm out here not even realizing my need. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. Now, interposed is not a word we use all the time. Interpose simply means to come between, especially to protect. So if, if you see someone who's vulnerable and they are in danger of, of being hurt or attacked, then you might step between the vulnerable person and his or her attacker. That is to interpose yourself. I've been thinking about those Alligators in South Huntsville. You heard about them, right? That that they're, apparently they're out there, out there eating dogs and everything. Well, I've I've thought about if if a gator ever wanders into my yard, I'm certain that uh, Gracie, our 12-pound wonder dog, will protect, will interpose herself. She will get between me and that gator, whip that gator, send that gator packing. I know Gracie will interpose herself to. Interpose oneself is to come between someone who's vulnerable and the threat of danger. So what does it mean when it says that Jesus interposed his blood? Well, see, we, we're born, the Bible's clear, we're born with a sin nature, which means we have an overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing, a chronic propensity for what the Bible calls sin. We are sin sinners by nature and by choice. And there are consequences both for here and forever to that, to that sin. And so when we were still sinners, when we were wandering far from the fold of God, unaware of our need, God stepped across the great divide in, the, in his son and took upon himself our sins and said, if you will trust me with your life and not your own goodness, then you will not have to suffer the, the enslavement to sin and you won't have to suffer the eternal punishment to sin. So even before we knew we were in need, prevenient grace came, came before. It is grace that seeks us. Next, it is grace that saves us. Ephesians 2.8 It is by grace you have been saved through faith. Seven or eight years ago when I was uh, the interim preacher here, I told a story and it seems like it's time to tell it again. Back in November of 1980, Carrie and I joined three other couples. We were still dating at the time and uh, we joined three other couples on the Ocoee River. You know the Ocoee in Tennessee? Now today, if you go down the Ocoee, you will have to have a guide because the rapids are rough and they're not rougher than they were in 1980. They, are, they were rough then, they're rough now, but in 1980, you didn't have to have a guide. You could go down yourself. There were four couples, two um, wait, rafts, rafts, and um, there were two of the guys had been down the Ocoee. So those two jokers got into the first raft and left the rest of us who didn't know what we were doing to fend for ourselves in the second raft. And they kind of giggled, like, kind of like you did when, uh, when they got in that, that raft. 
Well, so we headed down uh, the Okoe, and it's rough. The, the rapids are turbulent. The, the current is swift. And we, we took a wrong turn at one of those rocks, and we ended up being slammed against a big rock, and we couldn't move. The current was moving swiftly in, toward us. The, the water, remember this is November. Now that water is cold in July. It's really cold in November. The frigid waters of the Okoe were pouring into our raft and we couldn't move and we were in big trouble. And so by grace are you saved. I'm coming back to it, by the way. Don't I'm coming back. <laughs> by grace are you saved through through faith, by grace you are rescued from the situation you got yourself into and cannot get yourself out of. But before I finish the story about the Okoe, let me tell you a story about Alan. Alan, um, I, I met him, I never met him in person, but I met him on a blog. We used to talk about the blogosphere. I met Alan in the blogosphere. There was a guy from California and I had a, had a blog and we talked about current events and how faith intersected with those events. My friend in California w w is not a believer, so a lot of the people in this blog, a lot of the participants were not believers, weren't churchgoers, didn't know uh, our you know, church language, including Alan. Alan lived in Australia. We became fairly close because we exchanged lots of... Uh, big ideas and thoughts. In fact, he invited me to Australia to do his wedding. I couldn't, but anyway. So Alan one day, and I don't remember the topic, but Alan expressed his concern for the company that he worked for. He worked for some sort of investment company that, that offered uh, get-rich-quick opportunities that were terribly risky. In fact, Alan called them schemes, get-rich-quick schemes. And Alan said that lots of gullible, financially naive people would invest in these things most of the time losing a lot of money. And he felt it was unethical, he was uncomfortable. But he wondered out loud on this blog in writing, he wondered what drives people to take such risk and he answered because everybody wants to be saved now he doesn't know our lingo he didn't grow up in church he's not at least 20 years ago was not part of a church but isn't it interesting that he used that phrase listen carefully to what he, he said secretly deep down everybody wants to be saved Humans flock from one thing to the other, wanting to be saved. Now remember, Alan is not a follower of Jesus, doesn't know our lingo, but listen. Get-rich-quick schemes, fanatical political parties, the stock market, cosmetic surgeons, Ponzi schemes, bottles and needles, it all comes back to one impulse. People want someone else or something else to save them from their themselves. I'm no exception. The question is, what thing will meet this human need? Alan unknowingly tapped into what God has been saying since the pages of Scripture emerged from the pens of his prophets. 
55, 54 times, if I'm counting right, in the New Testament. The Bible uses that word saved. Alan just simply knew instinctively that there's part of, of, of the human experience, part of being human is the desire to be rescued. Rescued from shame. Rescued from addiction. Rescued from feelings of meaninglessness. Rescued from fear. Rescued from regret. And so it is by grace that we can be saved. Back to the Okoe. We were pinned against the rock. The, the, the rapids were pouring into the water. The frigid water of the Okoe was pouring into the boat, and we were in big trouble. But along the bank, there were spotters, people who knew that people like us would, could get in trouble. And so they made their way. They had a rope. And they made their way as far out onto the rocks as they could, and they threw us a rope. Now, at that point, I had several options. One, I could blame Carrie, and quite frankly, it really was her fault that we, that we got here. She was not paddling very hard, just sitting there like she was touring through, what's that town in Italy where you just float through the, the, the river? What, what's that? Venice, yeah, just like she's floating down through Venice, just looking. I'm sorry, that brings up bad memories. I'm going to I'm gonna have to move on. So I could have blamed, I could have said it's her fault. Or denial was an option. I could have said, it's not that bad. You all are overreacting. You're being melodramatic. I'm really not in, in big trouble here. Or I could have resorted to self-sufficiency. I could have said, you know, uh, I can take care of this. Or I, I, could have, I could have been so embarrassed, so ashamed that we got in that situation that I refused help. So I could have blamed somebody, I could have been prideful, I could have acted like I was self-sufficient, I, I could have been ashamed, so ashamed I didn't accept help. But no, nobody in that, in that raft was interested at that moment in pride or self-sufficiency or any of those other things. We, we grabbed the rope. And people outside us who had a power greater than our own saved us. And so... Whatever it is that you're longing to be rescued from, by grace we are saved. Let me move quickly. Now, the next one, it is grace that consoles us, consoles us. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the message it reads, we no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. You don't have to feel condemned. You don't have to live under the low-lying black cloud of shame and regret. Grace says, you can listen to the voices of your critics and your detractors who say, you're not even likable, much less lovable. Or you can listen to the voice of God himself who whispers, you are the apple of my eye. You can listen to the voices in your head that say those things that, that you so deeply regret make you unworthy of love. Or you can hear the whisper of God himself who whispers love like a groom 
would whisper to his bride, like a parent would whisper to his or her frightened child, tender words of love. Grace consoles us when, when regret would break our hearts, when regret would make us miserable, when the bad memories of bad decisions would wreck us. Grace says, you don't have to feel dirty. There is no, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation and grace consoles us. Next, it is grace that disciplines us. Titus 2, 11 to 13, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Some people say, when I go to church, I want the preacher to step on my toes. Somebody makes people feel better to feel bad, it seems, but I would argue that that to understand the breadth and the depth of God's love is a whole lot better motivator than fear and shame. I believe in speaking frankly about our sinfulness, I do. But fear and shame are not good motivators. To know how desperately we are loved teaches us, disciplines us to live upright and godly lives. The woman at the well had been married multiple times, living with a man, not her husband, but then she went to the village and said, you gotta come meet a man who changed me. What did he do? What did, he do? did he belittle her? No. Did he, did he berate her? No. Did he beat her up verbally? No. He, he extended grace to her. It's one thing to be bow, browbeaten into submission. It's quite another thing to be loved into glad and voluntary surrender. Grace, unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love is a whole lot better motivator for the living of the godly life than is fear and shame. Grace disciplines us. Next, grace, it is grace that disarms us. It is grace that disarms us. First Peter 4.10, be stewards of God's grace. We are recipients of His grace, God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love, and we are to manage it, we are to extend it, we are to be stewards of it to each other. I love quoting Joseph Cook. You've heard me quote, it, quote him a number of times. Grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. Grace is the face that love, love wears when it meets imperfection, and every time we meet a new human, we meet imperfection. Last week, we talked about stepping out into the public square, even into the political world, with both conviction and compassion. We remembered last week that to step into the public square angry, to step into the public square with snarky attitudes, it's not helpful, doesn't change anybody, doesn't help the situation. But to extend grace does. And frankly, there's some people hard to like, some people hard to love, and frankly, you and I are that person for somebody. There's somebody who finds us hard to like, 
And somebody who finds, I know that's hard to believe, but there's some people who find you and me, as lovable as we are, hard to love. But to extend grace, to be stewards of grace, is, is to, to be so deeply grateful for what we have received that we extend it to people who are no more deserving than we are. Grace, it is grace that disarms us, that says, put down those weapons of hatred and bitterness. Put down those weapons, those words you could use to really put somebody in their place. Put them down and extend grace. It is grace that disarms us. And finally, it is grace that leads us home. Alan Levi wrote a, an interesting uh, song titled A uh, $20 Dog. In the song, he tells the story about um, a dog that lived outside, an outside dog. But on a, a cold and rainy night, the dog was scratching at the door and whining to come in. And so he went to the door and let the dog in the house. And it wasn't long until the dog was, was curled up warm and asleep on his, his fancy, expensive rug. And he said, man, if this ain't love, a $20 dog on a $1,000 rug. And then he continued. He speaks to his dog. You only had to ask. You didn't pay a cent. This is simply grace. I didn't let you in, my friend, because of what you do. There's just one reason, boy. I really care for you. But then Alan Levi turned the corner and he said, Someday I'll put my feet on Glory Street. I'm going to take my place at the well of grace in the land above, just like a $20 dog on a $1,000 rug. And if your hope is in Jesus, and not in your own goodness. When you breathe your last breath of this planet's air, and you step up to that place the, the Bible calls heaven, and God rolls out the red carpet, please hear me, it will not be a reward for being good. Heaven is not a reward. Heaven is a gift of grace. A reward for good works, surely, but, but not, we don't earn it. It's not, a, it's not a trophy. Heaven is a gift of grace. And so we're going to be like a bunch of $20 dogs on a $1,000 rug. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Sing it with me if you know it. Tis grace hath brought 
sing that last stanza. When we is the hymn we're going to sing as our invitation. We sing for you so that you will come forward. God has blessed us recently with a number of people who've come forward to express their desire to join our church. It's quite the blessing. We would be so thrilled if you would bless us with that today. If you'd come and say, this is where God is leading me to plant my life. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus or if you already are and have not yet gone public, we would be so thrilled to welcome you. Some of our ministers, including me, will be down here waiting for you uh, while the others sing. Aaron. <laughs> 